What we try to do in the implementation of design thinking, Agile and, and Lean Startup is really try and understand the basic philosophy that those methods bring, not to lose that fundamental aspect that they bring. Welcome back to another episode of the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. That's Jean-Francois Barand. At our workshop hosted by Airbus in Toulouse, Jean-Francois and our colleague Leonard delve into design thinking, lean startup, and agile methodologies, and discussed how they can be best applied in large organizations. We hope you enjoy this episode. Jean-Francois, thank you very much for your presentation and for running various workshops here at, uh, at Airbus uh, during the event. Um, maybe we can start the interview by you just briefly explaining uh, who you are, sure. uh, what company you work at and uh, what role you have currently. Sure, so my name is Jean-Francois Baron. I work for a learning organization called the Air Business Academy. Um, we are specializing particularly in my area in innovation, collaborative work and agile. Um, and we support organization companies to develop um, more innovative and creative organizations. And that can be in, in various forms. Um, obviously, the main one being through training, facilitation, coaching, and sometimes consulting as well. And, and uh, with a focus on the methods, um, the processes, but also very important for us is the mindset and behaviors. In your presentation, it was clearly how you work with those very iterative methodologies, often in the very front end um, yeah. or in the start of innovation projects. Uh, how do they kind of plug in to the larger innovation process, maybe also at Airbus, where you were working a lot with Airbus employees and divisions? Sure. It, it, it was actually part of the presentation, I think, at the heart. What we wanted to demonstrate is that... Um, um, what has been successful in Airbus is the implementation of um, an operational world where everything is linear, uh, managed by gates and performance, time, cost. Um, and also more recently implementation of another world, another space for innovation where we test, where we are iterative, incremental. Um, and, and there are areas where we have been able to have, have the both worlds start matching. Typically, we are using the TRL process, technical readiness level process, and for the very early process gates, we, we perform them in an iterative way. But it, it's, um, it, I think it's part of our struggle that we are still facing difficulties to hand over our products from this environmental, or sorry, the, that uh, innovation environment down to the program's environment. Now, often you work with uh, people, engineers, very cross-functionally and sure. cross-discipline, basically. Yeah. Um, how much do you need to kind of onboard those, uh, those people joining those teams that come from different worlds? It is, it is an important aspect of the inductions when we start our initiatives and when we embark those peoples on those new ways of working because they are new ways of working for them. Those engineers have been trained to work on waterfall types projects um, with a boss that tells them here's what you're supposed to do and they tend to live in silos and, and when we are launching you know, more transversal initiatives like this, we do need to spend a significant amount of time on first 
building up the team, but also um, to give them some keys on how to communicate, being transparent, sharing and aligning on the vision that they have of the project, and sometimes managing conflicts, helping them finding their ways to do that. So we invest a significant amount of time on that. I, I'd say probably even more than on the method itself. How do you manage? I mean, often, uh, if I understood it correctly, otherwise you, you correct me, uh, you, you still work together with the outside world, even though um, outside world, I mean other business units, um, that you do not onboard directly into, um, into the projects and into that new work uh, style of working. How do you manage kind of the, the differences when you have to um, communicate but also work together with uh, could be experts or, or any other people supporting the, the projects that you have in your Right, program. so if I understand well your question, it's how do we get this team that works iteratively with those principles to interact with a world that may not exactly. be that way? Okay, um, when f first we, we remind them of the past that they've gone through in their own transformation. Remember where you were at and, and what's changed and what took you from going from being, you know, siloted, um, non-iterative, hierarchically structured, um, I-shaped types of profiles mm -hmm. down to more T-shaped sort of profiles. So we remind them of that and, and therefore giving us a meaning of the necessity to communicate with this outside world. And then second, I think what we also do is when we have experts or sponsors that may interact with the teams, we do brief them up front by saying, you know, you're entering a world where we are functioning differently. People are more responsible, more free, but also more responsible for what they do. Um, so take this into account and in the way that you are going to interact with them. So it's a preparation to answer quickly maybe to your question. Yeah. <laughs> How do you uh, handle the um, kind of uh, customization of some of the methods within Airbus, for example, when you've kind of been training people and they come back and they continue to use some of those methods? How much freedom do you leave to for them to customize it in a different way for their world or how much kind of standardization uh, is there and needs to be in place? Um, there is very little standardization, I must say, at least in the area where uh, we apply most of the techniques. Um, and, and it might be worthwhile to um, say it again, it is mostly in the non-IT environment. So we, what we try to do in the implementation of design thinking, agile and, and lean startup is really try and understand the basic philosophy that those methods bring so that we keep them in whatever we will implement, not to lose that fundamental aspect that they bring um, to the success of their application. So keeping those elements in mind um, customize it, we try and fail, basically. We take some aspects which we believe are important, we test them, we see if they succeed, if they don't, then we chuck them out. Um, typically, if we take an example with Agile, for example, um, we initially reinforced a lot having the daily stand-up. Um, 
but for some teams doesn't make sense to have a daily stand-up so maybe it's only two twice a week or once a week that they have a, a daily stand-up because the duration of their tasks is long enough so we don't play them by the book and yet we try to keep the basic fundamental philosophy that they bring when when you think about teams yeah. i mean it is not no surprise and many know you know diversity cross-discipline, cross-function, cross-division, sure. cross a lot uh, is helpful uh, on the one hand. Also, I think you mentioned it in your presentation, also creates uh, tensions and because so many different working styles and minds are together. How do you handle kind of this tension in, you know, the opportunity on the one hand, very heterogeneous teams, but the, the challenges that comes with it on the other? I think the key, if I was to find, you know, I'm, I'm like, uh, I've got all the answers right now. But I think if there was really one element that we are striving to do is to give meaning to our actions. So when we launch a, a project, we spend a fair good time with the, whole, the overall team first so that they can tell who they are, what is their understanding of the challenge, what they think they can bring to the challenge, what they expect from the others that they bring in the challenge. And then eventually we formulate the challenge as one sentence and it can take up to two hours having this exercise, having the guy sitting around us at the board, writing down the sentence and erasing it and rewriting it until there is an alignment and everybody's on board. So we're not looking at a consensus. We're not looking necessarily at a democratic, but we're looking at major objections, you know, from holocratic or sociocratic practices saying, if there is no major objections, let's try with that. And if in two weeks we want to change the sentence, nothing stops us from changing it. So it's a question of alignment on the why we are doing this and what it is that we are trying to achieve together. And how does it feed me as a person and as a member of the team? What have you learned? Is there a secret source? What do you see in really successful teams? And, and when do you see uh, patterns that w doesn't work that well? Is there something you can pinpoint? Wow, this is a really tricky question. You can also think a bit about it. <laughs> um, I think what we are trying to put in place, and when we coach them, on, when we train them, we are putting a lot of attention on, are you actually listening to one another? And if they're not, then we work on what does it mean to listen to one another. Mm. You know, when you, when you see this guy, I'm saying something and this guy is just like, is ready <laughs> to go with the next question, you know. He's not listening. It, it, he may be hearing stuff, but he's not listening. So when this happens, we point it out. Also, another element that we work on very quickly early on in the process is giving feedback. Feedback and feed forward. And what that means is, okay, you're giving me an idea. Um, here's what I would propose, or here's what your ideas, your idea bring to me, the way I see it, and um, the way it makes me feel, and what I want to do with it. Uh, and here's an option that would make your idea even better for me to get involved. So we work a lot on feedback. We work a lot on listening. Um, I think these are the two 
elements that we are really trying to, to put in place very quickly. When somebody speaks and speaks, let, let's 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 respect that. And I I think also what we are trying the time boxing aspect, funny enough, is actually helping. In the sense that we make it very clear from the start. When we take 45 minutes for an exercise, it's 45 minutes for the exercise. It's not, let's spend two minutes talking about the film we watched last night and then not being happy at the end because we haven't achieved what we wanted to achieve. So let's focus on what it is that we want to achieve within that time frame, have it done, and then let's talk about the movie if time allows. What is your perception of kind of the flexibility of work in, in this in this kind of setup many are coming from a very kind of traditional yeah. um, work working setups and then this new working style is, is very different sure you you think there need, needs to be adjustments or are there adjustments in some cases of how and to work but also how to measure people how to incentivize people how to um is there anything um that that is done What our experience shows so far is that um, so in our the process we described in the presentation this morning, our own sprints, the 100-day sprints, people have 50% of their time allocated to the project during those 100 days. So in terms of workload, it's 50 days. Effort, it's 50 days uh, for a duration of 100 Usually, let's face it, people end up being 120%, mm. you know, overall workload. So it's, 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 it's putting it on top of what their day-to-day -day job is. Um, but what we find, and, and having tried elsewhere also, other learning, having tried in a different setting where teams are um, actually using agile ways of working constantly. Lessons learned is for each people not to do it more than nine months a year because it is exhausting. It, they love it. In fact, the hardest part is to go back to their daily job. And yet, it's exhausting. So they, um, we recommend for the team, and it's not us, it's actually the, the, the leaders of those teams that recommend not, not to do more than nine months a year on that sort of iterative uh, ways of working. Where have you found, found that those kind of iterative me methodologies doesn't work that well? Or what kind of characteristics do you look for when choosing projects and when also saying no to other projects? I think I'll be very classic on this one in the sense that um, where we find those methodologies really efficient, it's all the pre-project phases, the concept phases, so where the page is blank and things are fairly open. As soon as you start entering into um, a world of development, so programs, operations, production lines, it becomes less relevant, fairly simply because... In one area, we are in sort of a high level of uncertainty in terms of technology, in terms of people and, and customer demands. 
Uh, and then on the other world, it, the challenge is very different. And this is what we try to, to demonstrate in our presentation is there is a world where the challenge is to be efficient in the production line, reducing wastes, increasing margins, that sort of elements. I wouldn't introduce necessarily an incremental or an iterative approach, although we are doing it, but not necessarily on the product itself. What we are bringing is the mindset and behaviors and the spirit of Agile in the production chain that is more predictable, typically. The world unpredictable, high uncertainties, low uncertainties, highly predictable. Let's go linear. This is the best way to optimize. Yeah, no, no, I completely understand. Let me exactly ask you about that. If I remember correctly, you had those 11% yeah. at the end of your funnel. Sure. Where does that end now? When does kind of that more iterative uh, way of working and the processes, when do they go and turn into more linear processes? At the 11. So the 11 reaches a state, we are handing over the product to the more linear. And those live in the, the they live in the linear. Yeah, maybe you can explain a bit how that is happening and what some of the challenges are in this and, and some of the early learnings. Um, so typically, the, it depends on the maturity of the product that we have. We've had some products that have been embodied on programs straight away because the demonstrator was that mature. Mm. Um, we've had an example, uh, we, a project called uh, Reusable Fuel. So when you're on an aircraft, the... Um, the wings, when, when it's not flying, the wings are a little bit like this. So a lot of residual fuel stays in, in that area of the wing and this is not good. So we've, we've developed a, a system that makes the, 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 the tips, the tips. lift the tips up. Yeah, yeah uh, inside. Um, this was so successful and uh, proved easy to embark that uh, an aircraft like the, A380, the A330 program took it on board straight away. And what that means is that we're handing it over from the project to the program. And the program organization have their own development cycles. So they take the prototype, they develop it, they finalize it, and they put it on the aircraft. And maybe this is where our weakness is, in the sense that if the technology is mature enough, then the program will take it and put it on board because they don't, they don't have much work to finalize it. Mm. The problem lies when it's not that mature and it enters in the same process as a mature one. So it becomes slow, boom, slow again. This is where we probably need to think about a way to make it iterative between that innovation space and the program. We were actually talking with friends about having, a, you know, sort of, development labs for the programs which would be a sort of intermediate step before it goes on on the production line itself in other cases uh, and and most of our cases you've seen it in our chart 40 percent of what comes out of the sprints goes into our traditional rnt process which is mostly made for incremental innovation not so much for Disruptive. Let me let me drop in another keyword into the discussion, which is leadership. Yeah. What do you think is special uh, about leadership when talking about you know supporting those teams working in iterative loops? Yeah. Um, once again, we are touching base on the the mindset for sure, and and what that means is that um, 
in terms of leadership being ready to let go of being the one that drives the car and being able to handle the the talking stick you know um, to whomever it makes sense to at this moment in time what I seem to try I'm, I'm trying with my own team to apply you know sort of liberated flat organizational things I find it it's not always easy to bridge between providing the vision a purpose that 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 we could have built or we can build together but owning that that vision and purpose that drives the team and drives their motivation whilst not stepping into the how they want to actually implement it them, by, by themselves and when you're a doer when you're a designer which is my case it's sometimes difficult to find out when am I the leader here and, and when am I actually the designer you know um, because I love it so much but then I need to leave the space to these guys to actually find their own <laughs> space you know um, and, and what I'm trying to do is, is maybe to ask their advice. Where do you think I should step out? Um, and, and also I'm trying to ask a lot of questions about the, how, the why. The why and the how. Why, why do you think we should be doing it this way? And, and why do you think it makes sense that we are actually developing this or that? I hope I'm answering the question. Yeah, you do. Um, last question. Sure. Uh, what would you pinpoint uh, would be one of the biggest learnings in, in, your, in your current role? Wow. Another trick one. <laughs> what am I taking away? I think what I'm taking away is that it's, even though you want to be agile, even though you want to let go, um, it's not that easy to step into the unknown. And I find it sometimes very comfortable to remain in my certainties and, and I, <laughs> honestly from time to time I think I'd like to remain in my certainties because it is comfortable and, and but I like I love challenging the status quo at the same time and yet it's not always that natural or that comfortable inside to actually step into that mm -hmm. and even though I'm saying we should go into the unknown my body and my actions might not do that. <laughs> Thank you very much for Cheers, your Lena. presentation, all your workshops you're running here. Um, thank you. And, uh, and uh, thank you for that interesting and pleasant conversation. Jesse. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find our show in most podcast apps. Subscribe for free to get the latest episodes. The video and the transcript of this podcast and all of our other exclusive interviews can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, innovationroundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with thousands of other corporate innovators, share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers. Our network is exclusively for innovation, HR, and marketing practitioners in large firms. So visit innovationroundtable.online to discover more and request your 15-day free trial account.